Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hi. Duncan. Hey there. Jeff. Yellow. And John. You got my name right. Thank you. People might not be listening to the in-betweens. They might think it's this is some weird continuity break. Well, um, they'll, they'll figure it out. <laughs> listen to all our podcasts. Listen to them all again. Yeah. Uh, well, we yeah. have a topic this week that is uh, Kyoto Animation. That's mm. kind of a commemoration and retrospective in light of the, the recent fire. Uh, but first, we've got some stuff to talk about with this season and also with some of the stuff we've been doing that's anime adjacent. Right, Andy? <laughs> yeah uh so i went uh last weekend i went to the british museum uh where they have the city manga exhibit uh which was genuinely genuinely incredible and i know that probably by the time this comes out there's not gonna be much time for anyone who's in england to go see it but if you are and you haven't then i really implore that you do uh it's incredible it was started off with um you know, when when I saw saw it, I didn't really have high hopes because I was just thinking, oh, it's just going to be telling people how manga works for idiots who don't know what a manga is. Um, but actually, it wasn't that at all. Uh, it was actually just sort of like an exploration of what well, it did have at the beginning. Like, you know, oh, this is Tezuka talking to camera about what he thinks about manga. And then that was pretty cool because I've never really seen any of his uh, interviews translated so that was cool and Mm. then it did have another bit of like this is how manga's been made this is how you read a manga but then what i wasn't expecting was everything afterwards where it was the history of the manga of manga which you know i I know like everyone knows it comes from i think uh punch i think it's called which is sort of Mm -hmm. like a political comic uh that started off after world war Two, and then that evolved into sort of like young boy and young girls sort of like uh monthly digest or something like that and then it sort of evolves from there but what i wasn't expecting was them to actually have examples of stuff like jump uh punch so that was sort of like almost 100 years old and then it had it wasn't just like it wasn't just like, then, Then you know, it went to Tezka and it went to One Piece and it went to Dragon Ball and it went to Jojo. But it wasn't like, this is what it is. It was actual, like, the fucking frames and the single pages of, like, the A2 original drawings of the manga. And for me, I don't know, I was actually quite um, unexpectedly emotional about it because I just wasn't expecting the real art to be there in front of my face. And it was really impressive, like hmm. just to have, just to have like the twentieth page of One Piece, just like there. And I was like, "Shit, <laughs> <laughs> that's been there. That's like thirty years old." I love almost show. as old as Punch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it had like Tezuka. It had that famous Ashton Ojo. It had uh, like the Fuji uh, Fujimoto. I can't remember his name, but yeah. It was uh, really incredible. Like, I really advise you all to go see it because it's got incredible works of art. And to have it context. Swim across the ocean real quick to check it out. (laughs) Yeah, do, do. Because, you know, having. It's one thing being like, this is like a little thing I love, like a hobby. But then to have it recontextualized in a museum, in the British Museum, as art was kind of powerful. And I really enjoyed it. So, is it like a traveling exhibit? Or no, is it something specifically for? Do they intend to give it back, like anything else? Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like everything, 
Are you sure? Because it is Britain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was there was some like Hokusai stuff, which again was was cool because, but I've already seen it when I went to the Hokusai exhibit last year. Um, but there was, and that is like British Museum stuff. But you know, all of it was like private collections. So, and they all managed to have like indiv- interviews with like Shueisha and uh, Jump. Uh, jump sorry and then they had i think uh what's the square enix one jump square i think it's called but they had like individual interviews with all of them and uh they they so you know they clearly had a strong working relationship with all those manga publishers so they just managed to get the full-blown original art which was really really cool uh yeah Hmm. really fucking love it um And they even had, like, Vagabond. Like, they had just, like, the original Vagabond pieces, which I've never read Vagabond, but now I fucking want to because, goddamn, it's gorgeous. Like, it's real good. I've got it's all the translated so, stuff up to that's been released, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was really good. Uh, I really, really recommend um, that that exhibit. Uh, and, you know, they just, they did admittedly have, like, a few of the weirder, cringier bits where it's, like, this is someone talking about why they love BL, and you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> emotional, blah, 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 blah. like you just wanted to read some porn. There's nothing wrong with that. Just, but hey, uh, not all BL is porn. Mm, no, that's true. <laughs> uh, but you know, there was there's a really there was a really genuinely good selection, and I think it would be boring for me to just name everything that was there. But needless to say, it's really, really good and really powerful. So did they, yeah, did they have like a section explaining yaoi hands or <laughs> <laughs> or no, yaoi well, holes? This is, yeah, this is the thing they had because because they had like they had they didn't explain anything like that. No, they did explain sort of like general like manga uh, and anime sort of like shorthands, um, but they didn't really explain why some stuff was badly drawn. But they didn't really have badly drawn stuff in there. They had like. They had like Sailor Moon. They had, uh, you know, they had Dragon Ball. They had that original first Kamehameha, which was fucking awesome to look at. Just like, <laughs> uh, because yeah. So no, they didn't have any like stupid explanations of these weirder like uh, letter subgenres. But they did have a really decent selection of everything uh, that I could have possibly wanted. So yeah, really, really good. Really recommend it. Sounds good. Uh, cool. It was. It was very cool, and it's just. A shame that it's not traveling about because it would be cool if it's in America, but I don't think they really plan to do anything like that. I think it's just a one-off time. And you know, it was sold out when we went, which was really weird. Like my friend was like, "I've been to the exhibits loads of times, and I've never seen an exhibit to sold out." So it must have done well. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, nerds. <laughs> <They'll be> nerds. <laughs> yeah, there's also that. There's always that really annoying bit where I'm trying to like. Wait, well, I mean, maybe this is just me being an asshole, but like I was like looking at all the pieces, trying to trying to like really enjoy the good jojo art they had because they had like jojo at the louvre like the full-on mm. color pages that araki did um and then you had some people just go up and be like oh yeah Mr. jojo it's not actually really my sort of thing i prefer attack on titan and then you just say oh fuck off attack <laughs> on titan is one of the worst looking mangas ever published <laughs> i know i know they had it and you know it's one of it's definitely the most popular thing right now so and, like like Rowan at the Louvre is like it's out gorgeous. Of yeah, it's like one of the best <laughs> things that Rocky's ever done. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but Would you again, recommend when... that as something to buy on its own if you're sort of interested in his no. thought processes? Uh, if you haven't read, no, <laughs> no. 
It's good. If you haven't read what? If you haven't read JoJo. Yeah. Especially, okay. I mean, part four, where that character's from, right? Mm. But it's like, I've I've seen that before, and I've been sort of like quite interested just to read it as like a, a one-shot of, which is supposedly really well-received, where I, in a way that I'm, I've watched most of that season, and I'm, I haven't seen how his arc ends, but I'm still interested. He's still an interesting character. Yeah, well, I mean, I, if, if you've watched most of that season, then yes. But if you have not read any JoJo Part Four, then no, it doesn't well, I mean, really. My introduction to JoJo's was the original OVA, which is like six episode digest of the second half of the third arc. Yeah, but Part <laughs> Three really doesn't like really fucking matter. <laughs> like that. Yeah. The, the the second part is the first part redone. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would I would say you'll be able to read it. Absolutely fine, Duncan. Uh, yeah. It's it's really worth reading and worth picking up. Uh, and it's and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Like he really. I mean, when you get commissioned by the Louvre to do stuff, I guess you really spend. He's also done. <laughs> yeah. Have you also seen him do the Gucci one as well? That's yeah, an interesting that, read. Yeah. Uh, his Gucci. He. I don't know. The guy's cool. He, he can get. He can get these weird like projects underway. But yeah, the Gucci one's odd. Uh, which is also Rohan again. He uh, really loves Rohan. So oh, this, you know. this is self-insert, so... Uh, maybe, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, good stuff. Anyway, that's me done. I don't know, it can't be self-insert. Rohan's not gay enough. <laughs> that, yeah, or, and he's not a vampire, Dio is. Um, we all know that... Anyway, that's a... <laughs> Anyway, somebody got that. Somebody got that joke. Now we gotta put. Th- now we gotta put that in the show notes. So that's great. Well, let's take us as far away from homoerotic muscle shonen to to high school girls, right? We have updates <laughs> on uh, wasteful days of high school girls and oh, maidens in their savage season or whatever. Yeah, I didn't do my joke of mixing up the names. Oh, bravo, bravo, <laughs> well done. I'm disappointed. Me too. Uh, I've been calling it Randy the Macho Maiden Savages. So. <laughs> I mean, I was entertained for literal months by calling Scum's Wish Scum Swish, so I, <laughs> I have no room to point fingers. Randy Maidens broken. does definitely work. Like, well done, Jeff. Uh, that's, that's a... <laughs> right, you, you lead off, I think. Uh, yeah, so that show continues to be the most uncomfortable thing to watch on TV. Yeah. Yep. but still pretty good. Like it's it's it feels difficult to talk about midstream because it like the the stuff that it's touching on now really depends on how it sticks to landing at the end. And as some people would say, Mario Kata has struggles with that aspect of her work. But like this is the least Okada Mario Kata show that I think I've watched, and I watched a bunch of them now. Like I watched Anohana. I mean, including I Dragon Pilot. Um, even, I mean, even that, like, it's, it's, it's nowhere near as, like, light and goofy and fluffy. It get it touches on some really dark stuff, and... That, that it, is really weird to me, because every impression I read says this is extremely Okada. <laughs> I mean... I didn't know that Dragon Pilot was Okada. I like that show. That I mean, yeah, I'd be too. She has a certain amount of range to her, even though she does get sort of typecast, I guess, what, if you can be typecast a writer. Um, so... One so one thing I think is sticks out to me is that they've touched on some really dark stuff, but so far nobody has been like sobbing and running through the rain screaming Itai, which <laughs> is like I kind I kind of expect that to arrive at that point. That's 
like by the end but it's kind of reserved and kind of frustratingly like drawn out in some ways like the like the, the main character's mm-hmm. principal hang up is that she just refuses to engage with her own feelings and talk to people and all of her problems would be solved like instantaneously but that's just like probably also like the wisdom of age looking back at any experience from when you're a teenager mm. it's just like just fucking talk to her it's gonna be fine yeah. jesus yeah. christ say, say, what, <laughs> say what's going on please every time i, I watch it, it i think the thing is it reminds me in some ways in the the, the, the subjects it's going over of every other um co- sex comedy or um youthful um hijinks and mistakes but the because it does it all deadpan it you're suddenly instead of it being oh ha, ha, that's so funny it just lingers on the moment and it, the moment mm-hmm. goes from oh that's funny to this is really fucking uncomfortable yeah <laughs> and as jeff says it, it also has in the fifth episode did bring up um some particularly dark um themes about um child abuse mm-hmm. um and i know I've I've read some things where some people have took it to task for not being explicit enough about um, condemning the the person who which is I, the perpetrator. Which I think is, and I think that's crazy because the show does not in any way equivocate as to this person being bad. And that particular character whose name escapes me and now I'm vamping because I'm going to Google the name of the show. Are we talking about Nina? or Yes, Nina. Uh like her entire character is that she has been irrevocably damaged by this interaction with this guy. And the fact that she has not come to terms with that and condemned him in no uncertain terms is kind of a product of that mm-hmm. because like she, you know, she, she kind of brings it up in passing conversation with a boy who like happens to like one of her friends and she's describing this like this relationship that she had with a director of one of the shows that she was working on when she was an actress when she was like 10 or 11 and he was like oh yeah he was like in love with me but he never like touched me and he never like uh and he t- and he told me that like as i would grow up you know other boys would like me the way he likes me now but he will stop liking me in that way and he's you know in a you know hard cuts to the boy who's just like what the fuck are you saying right now and and like some people are reading that as like oh it's being played as a joke and it's like that's if that's the way you're reading this then i don't know like you like it almost feels like bad faith but i don't want to assume yeah. that in people it's like you're reading a different book darling like <laughs> yeah, i mean the, like... the the other thing is that um in the contact uh they give him this uh this these words that he says about her and they're like oh well it, it he only liked her as like this uh, brilliant shining example of youth and that he wouldn't touch her because if he did that would immediately tarnish her and make her not the thing he aspires to and what's been someone's some people have said is oh well that's make him out as this sort of noble pedophile but it's not because that's just the way he talks about himself that's not the way the show talks about him and those are two mm-hmm. very different things and the, one of the first things we hear from nina a couple of episodes earlier is almost the same speech but with her trauma uh worked in where she talks about how she feels like she's this 
um, that the moment she goes up, people will start looking at her differently. And that the time, our context for that is, oh, she's, she's uh, worried that they will, they're going to st- start looking at her, her sexually. But what her anxiety is, is she's been so damaged by this person that she thinks that when she goes up, she's going to become this worthless thing, which no one values because he's just mentally manipulated and uh, just damaged her horribly. And it's like, if you can't see, if you see that as the show um, sort of supporting his words, I'm, I just don't think I can mm-hmm. agree with that. And yeah, then, it, there seems to be sometimes an, an edge of criticism that's like if the show does not have an explicit, like objective and unequivocal denunciation of problematic behavior, then the show secretly supports it. And I really don't know how to engage with that kind of criticism. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, if, like if, if if you think it's a duty of fiction to show to show an idealized world, that's one thing. But like, I don't want that in my fiction. I mean, as awful as it is, it's about exploring these uncomfortable states and the ways that people can be awful to each other sometimes. And I think it would be extremely, I think it would be extremely on point to put like a content warning in front of the show and let people Mm -hmm. know that this is what this show is dealing with. And also, I think the fact that it isn't just dealing with this and it's not this like totally po-faced, dead serious show about, you know, the exploitation inflicted on this girl. Like, you know, there's also, you know, these, this other comedy stuff going on that maybe you know it, it's not it, people feel like it's not treating it with enough gravity mm. which i mean like that's like and i mean like we're you know five middle-aged dudes who have never experienced this kind of thing presumably i'm not and like so it, it's so far outside my own experience that like i can only really engage with this on a literary level and so like i'm not going to tell somebody that they're wrong for feeling this way but yeah like i do not believe that this show is in any way supporting or equivocating this kind of behavior. And the only thing I'm kind of worried about is another character on the show, Hongo, uh, who is sort of seemingly in the middle of this kind of relationship with their teacher mm-hmm. advisor. And like, he, he doesn't like that seems to be coming very much from her, her crushing on her teacher and her teacher having no interest in her but he also not really doing a whole hell of a lot to shut it down and like te- telling her like mm. oh if you really want to pursue this you should do these things because it will stop me from getting in trouble and it's like i like and it's and it's yeah. hard to see like you know and that's why i kind of say you know it's really hard to, to know what to think about this show until it's going to be finished because it really depends on where how they treat this like they, i had kind of assumed that hongo's uh, relationship with her publisher was going to be kind of in that vein mm. well as well because like he had been like sort of telling her oh you need to like you know you need to make your books more sexy you know i have this other girl that we're talking to i want you to come down and meet me in person for once and i was like oh, okay like this guy is creeping on her but now he's like oh actually all that stuff was crap you should go back to writing more innocent things and now she's more pursuing it in her own you know as her own interest and so it's like you know i'm not it's it's, it's kind of hard to get a read on what they're trying to do with it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. The thing is, like in the latest episode, he's pulled some her- pretty horrified faces at her behavior, and I think it's a case of, of someone be- thinking he's smarter than he is, and like, yeah, yeah, I can just tell him to do that, and they'll 
go away and won't bother me anymore. And then them actually doing it and him like, no, I don't want anything to do with this. Don't do that. That's terrible for you. It's terrible for me. It's like, Ugh. yeah. And like, and uh, like, and that's why I think like that is the the aspect of the show where I think maybe warrants the criticism because like she's doing things that he explicitly told her to do, and mm-hmm. then you know him making a little, a little stink face when she keeps doing it isn't like it. I don't. Know, it's it's mixed messages. I want to see what they do with yeah. it. I think I like the comedy aspect that's in the moment, but when I sit and think about it and in the way that you bring up, then it does have that. Sort of, yeah. This isn't particularly fair on on either character. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk and, about out happier and nicer things with yeah. <laughs> with excellent ops. Yeah, so. the wasteful days of high school girls, which is a gag show about a bunch of weird characters in high school, and yeah, there's it's it's very light and fun and good and all the other and not funny. It. Mm, mm. I don't know if I agree with that, but it, it never made me laugh. That's why I dropped it. Hmm. It's, it was just, it was like, it was very cute. It was very, we're trying to be very cute and and like happy and friendly and just, it did not pull off uh, the comedy part at all. Oh, I, like, I thought it like, it, it doesn't have like the same edge as something like Asobi Asabase has, but I, I thought it was kind of more on that end of the spectrum. No way, not even. Yeah, since. I just, I, I just watched Asobi Asabase, and it is nothing like that. Asabi Asabase, is just really fucking good, though. Like, yeah, yeah it's, yes. The comedy yes, it on that show is is really well formulated because it's like the classic trio of like crazy girl, intellectual, and sort of like the bokeh, sort of like sensible girl who sent who like focuses everything in. So that's like the perfect formula. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, the Wasteful Girls has a lot of similarities there. That doesn't entirely not map to its three main characters. They are a girl who's obsessed with science, a sort of crazy girl, and their sort of sensible friend who wants to become a manga artist. And so there's yeah. definitely that central trio there as well. It's I just get, going in again, a different way. But then again, like, comedy is really subjective. Like, Jeff was complaining yesterday about uh, last episode about Magical Girl Senpai, and I find that show really, really funny. So, you know, like... It works for yeah, some people, but it works for You like don't. the trashiest trash. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, comedy I find out of all the genres is very subjective. Like, a lot of people really like fucking jackass, and that, to me, is unbearably terrible and crass. But, you know, it's just the way that people are. It's funny mm. because Jackass is like one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Again, I didn't laugh once whilst watching that movie. So, hmm. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Wasteful Girls is that I think it's a lot more. And this is weird for, to say for someone who can't actually hear the dialogue, but a lot more focused on the dialogue. It, it's not a visual gag show like something like Nietzsche Joe. It's not a sort of physical humor uh, gag show. It's not yeah, but then even... again, Nietzsche Joe doesn't have like Nietzsche Joe has a lots of word puns in it as well. I'd say like sixty percent of Nietzsche Joe is word puns, which is yeah. Why... But Nietzsche Joe is also like ninety percent animated gags. <laughs> A lot of gags, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good animation in those gags, and the ones that you remember are definitely the animated ones, but there's also a lot of Wasteful Days, I would 
Wasteful Days I would put in the same genre as Nature Joe and Daily Lives of High School Boys and yeah. uh, Sounds, I mean, Asa, or at least it's trying to be, but it fails. Its and... pacing is a lot slower than I, almost any other example I can think of. Like it's it's not quite lethargic, but it is just ambling its way through the day rather than sort of. Would you compare it to um, uh, what Flying Witch? Because that also has comedy, which is mm, like it's... the punchline is done at such a slow pace; it almost doesn't feel like a punchline. I think it's more it's more comedy than that. That was that was slice of life with some comedy. This is maybe a a, a, a more in the mid. Mid range of comedy. And this is this is trying life. to be a comedy with slice of life. <laughs> I'm not sure, but maybe I'll what? be corrected on this. But I think one thing about it is that it's based on a uh, uh, a manga, whereas a lot of the sh- the shows we talk about are actually based on four panel stuff. Um, I mean, four panels of manga too. Don't I know, we? but yeah, I, you know, uh, okay, a. A story manga rather than a gag manga, if that makes sense. And so it's not doesn't have the same rhythm to it. It doesn't have sketch, new, next sketch, next sketch, and they're not. It has a flow, perhaps as as you were saying with flying, which closer to a, a traditional story. But I think that's that's. I know John and uh, Ben were talking about disappointments and this this sort of and one thing that like that made me think about it. it's like a lot of my biggest disappointments have been with shows where I've loved the OP and it it, it just fundamentally has been different from the show. And mm-hmm. uh, the OP for um, Wasteful Girls is like this almost Shaft-esque, uh, very visually inventive, sort of not quite mixed media, but sort of cutting and playing with if the shots in ways that the actual show itself doesn't bother with and it's high pace and it's got quirky a quirky song to go with it and it it's the it's sh- the complete opposite of Sobiasobase where the OP for Sobiasobase sells it as this just like the, a slice of life with some cute girls and mm. then Super you get into relaxing. the show and it's <laughs> vulgar as fuck yeah <laughs> the juxtaposition is great but in this but, one the, but the then also great. you got that ending song for Asabe Asabe yeah. which is just amazing which is just like full on metal and sort of like uh, yeah that's also good yeah. shit up, which is more mm. appropriate to how this show actually is yep uh, good good shit yeah I it's will just... grant that like if you compare Wasteful Days of High School Girls to some of the best like <laughs> slice of life comedy shows that have come out in the last 15 years then it doesn't really stack up but as i'm watching it coming out like i'm 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 never ready to give it up and i always want to see the next episode which... it doesn't let you down yep it does what it says on the tin it seems like you're enjoying it jeff and that's what matters i think keep watching it if, it's, if you're enjoying it let us know how it ends uh, i can't it's on high dive right so it means it's impossible for mm-hmm. people to watch it <laughs> so uh fuck that but At yeah. least until you're freed from the European Union and its <laughs> oppressive Yay. rules. Then none of the anime is going to be available. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, speaking of other uh, other shows that have kind of a divisive opinion behind them, uh, Andy, you want to take some people to task for Dr. Stone, right? Well, yeah, mostly Duncan for saying it's just eh. I think it's fucking good. It's really, really good. I'm going to say 
I'm, I'm confused because Duncan told me that he liked the manga a lot, and then now yeah. he's talking about how he doesn't like the and anime. Then, well, this is this is what he was like for John, like the last episode. It's Doctor Stone. It's just average. It's just alright. There's nothing much to talk about, and uh, you know, I, I, it's fine. Like there's nothing. But it, it's and I think very it's, unique within the genre. Like isn't it, it is. Isn't it, it just? Is isn't something it just? that does not exist elsewhere. Anyway. Uh-huh. Mm. And I think it's incredible. Like I genuinely, I didn't know anything about it coming in. Uh, it's about. We talked about it two episodes ago, uh, very dismissively. Um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said it was a speedrun of civilization, and I stick by that. Oh yeah, no, it's it is. the bad thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> not the bad thing. But the bad thing was was everything else you said. Where it was just like, there's nothing much to say. It's all right. Okay, it's average. So it's boring. Are you saying there's the conceit is interesting? The yes. Art, I would say, is not particularly interesting. It's in fact, good. is downright weird. Well, hold, on, hold on, Andy. Do you like Here, the on, way Andy. he depicts women? Because I, I got to yeah, think... back him up. The, the women look like fucking key art characters. Like, key the studio. They look god-awful trash. Well, and he just came off saying that Magical Senpai is good, actually. So I, I don't <laughs> think he's gonna, really got a leg to stand on here. We're not, we're, not, we're not having this argument. I like Shaft. I like... Sorry, I like... I like Clad. Yeah, Shaft I is like, great. Yeah, I also like good Shaft. Yeah. <laughs> I like... I like I like cloud eyed anime. I thought I like the art style. No, you don't. I Nobody don't likes that it. art, man. I don't love it. I'm not like, oh boy, I wish I could. I wish every anime could look like this. But the as, only as people like the people like Clannad for the story, not for the art. Nobody likes the yeah. art. Everybody it's, hates that art. And, and the thing I is, refuse it, to believe that you like it. I just, <laughs> I'm just, men... I'm just so against people flat out hating it that I just can't be like, no, it's <laughs> fucking garbage. It's called an art style. You know, people wouldn't flat out hate it if bad. it wasn't god awful ugly. <laughs> but the point is is that the animation art style the stuff I do like about it is a little interesting flares so like the way that everyone's got cracks and some sort of like notifications yeah, cool. that they were born from that is cool like that is a yep. cool thing they've done the thing that does annoy me is the fact that everybody's clothes managed to disappear apart from one girl's fucking headband like what the fuck's that all about? I, well, her, that's not a headband. I don't. I don't know what the fuck it is. But... No, no, she takes it off. She takes it off when she has a bath. Like no, 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 no. I know it's not part of her body. Because why the <laughs> fuck would it be? That's a weird like. It's like, a... but it's, it's like a hair. It... I don't know what the fuck it is. The, the obvious question it has, it has is why has it su- why has it survived three thousand five hundred years in the open air when nothing else has? Look, uh, so if it's, it's not it's, if it's not a fucking plot point, I'll be extremely disappointed because nah, it it's just a like, weird character design quirk that looks yeah, bad. It's yeah, not even it's, good. I don't know. It's it's like headphones that don't go to the ears. No, it's <laughs> it, you know what it is. It's a headband, and on either side, it's got one of those like fossil shells. And I bet you, I, I bet I, you, I, I fucking bet you real money that it's gonna come back, and Doctor no. Stone's gonna fucking have made it for her for her ex birthday. I fucking bet you it's something that is actually relevant to the plot as to why it's still there. How it's bullshit be? because but it doesn't make real. sense. <laughs> 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 we don't but, disagree on that part, at least. <laughs> Um, but apart from that, I actually think it's really interesting. It's really uh, great that you have a, a shonen quote-unquote battle manga that is not using brawns but actually using brains. Like they have a problem, and instead of overcoming it with violence, they come overcome it with smarts. You know, he's and it's really interesting and like cool how you know these this guy's like he does his fucking research and he knows like how to make gunpowder which was great because there was a bit where it's like kids this is actually how you make gunpowder please don't make gunpowder <laughs> which, <laughs> really which i thought was great um and you know and then you have like these weird moments of tranquility where you got that that massive bronze buddha 
and then it was just like there and it's just like man they when they created this they thought it would survive and they knew it would survive and it was like a real sort of like uh i don't know like planet of the apes i guess moment i haven't seen mm-hmm. planet of the apes i'm not seeing that shit um but <laughs> you know like Jesus it was cool Christ, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> uh and i i really i i genuinely really like the show i think it's really clever i think it's really have, funny have you watched I the latest really episode smart. uh the latest episode i watched is when um no i i'm not gonna lie <laughs> i watched i watched it quite i think the latest one i watched was when he got revived and then they oh, had that's the to... latest one well oh, is they, it? Uh, i guess they sort of revive him at the end of the previous y- episode this yeah one is about yeah yeah so uh this episode is like do you care about spoilers no, no i've watched i mean no Okay, so basically, Senku, who is Dr. Stone, whose name I could not remember last episode, <laughs> his name is Senku, uh, and the other two, whose names I don't remember now, uh, they split off because the, those two are going to go with the super strong guy and kind of like distract him and spy on him for Senku, while Senku is going to go off and find the people who set off those smoke signals, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's the big setup for like what the show's actually going to be about, which is Senku working with these people who have clearly uh been around for a long time like <clears throat> longer than he has yeah well like the girl that you see like she's like 17th generation or some bullshit she's she was not recently revived like the the wild girl with oh. the spear um so I, he's going to i think he's going to like find her and find whoever she's with and and start rebuilding society basically so i think this is where like the show gets going and i'm excited yeah, great. I'm really like every time, every time I load up an episode, I find it really exciting, and I find it really, uh, I find it really fun how he sort of brings around sort of like these stupid science experiments, and it, even though it has sort of like that, I'm not gonna save, I'm not gonna save one person, I'm gonna save everyone. It doesn't feel so cheesy, especially when you've got this again. He, the the third guy he awakens turns out just fucking happens to be cars from jojo he's incredible <laughs> he's smart he's a super strong he's clever and he hates adults <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he wants to kill everything and have like a perfect utopia um which in itself is flawed um which does kind of annoy me because if i would expect him to be able to sort of philosophical like to argument his way philosophically out of like his vision of a utopia where everybody's perfect and it's just like well no because because if even when all the adults are dead, like the kids are still going to gain their own individuality and they're then going to be impure in his eyes. And it's just like, but then also he's, yeah, not it's a, pretty he's naive. Not a, yeah. He's not, a, he is naive, but then again, they're both, he's not a philosopher. He's just a scientist. So it's like, it's not his expertise. And it feels like maybe someone else will be there to show him wrong and show him up and try and argue him down. But mm-hmm. you know, like he doesn't win with, he doesn't win with fight. Like he doesn't win his fights with brawn. He wins it with smarts and it's really sort of great to watch a show which is like that again, which is like Death Note, actually. Like I like, you know, a lot of those really good shows that uh, I think get kids into anime. Uh, I think this will be definitely a gate. You could definitely argue this is a gateway drug, gateway anime drug. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, don't do drugs. Don't do well unless it's anime drugs. Um, (laughs) But yeah, uh, good show. Good stuff all around. Uh, 
Also, I guess we'll talk about Demon Slayer real quick. You said that this latest episode is the best episode of the oh year. My Fuck God. you. Fuck it's off. It's incredible. I don't know God what you it. guys are talking about. It's absolutely. It was like... amazingly animated, and that's. Oh, and it that's was beautiful. It, it was really. Fu- like, the last five it, minutes. Is that, is that your only fucking metric for best episode, though? <laughs> I, I should say, I really like Yudosuke, uh I really enjoy. I really enjoy the blonde hair guy. I think God, he's no, really, you fuck. Mm. I really love him. I think he's really funny. And blonde I think guy's that, a coward, in case anybody has yeah, picked up on Yeah, but then that, again, I, Usopp is also a coward, and uh, people like... Usopp's also got depth. <laughs> hey, this, it's been five episodes, and, you know, in the same five episodes, Usopp had just as little depth. Uh, I don't agree. I... Sure, whatever. I don't care. Like, Usopp, actually, Usopp didn't have to fall asleep to fight. <laughs> what are you talking about? Usopp has like a whole different persona to fucking Would you like fight. To He's exactly the same. Tell us he, who Usopp is. What are you talking about? I'm gonna. Um, Usopp, Usopp is from One Piece. He's a he's like piece. a he's like a coward. He always thinks he's gonna lose, but he's like the sniper and he pulls out in the and end. But, but he and, he doesn't and, fall asleep to fight. He actually tries yeah. to fight on his own. And he has a separate persona called Uso King. Uh, where yeah, that happens is... like a billion episodes later. That's not relevant it's to what you're talking about, which is the first five episodes, Andy. You've... I, I like him. I think anyway, Inosuke is great. I agree. That's the that's the boarhead guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, boarhead guy Inosuke, which literally. Yeah, he's the only good character guy. in the show. Well, actually, him and Nezuko. Nezuko's great. Right. But I really enjoyed like the the final animation, the final like five. Like he fights, basically he fights one of the twelve um, evilish Kizuki? demons in the world. Kizuki, is that right? I can't remember. So um, yeah, they're like the big daddy vampire, uh, yeah. direct descendants. So and and he definitely felt like he was the lowest because he was called the lower five. So I imagine yeah, he, he said he was lowest, five. Yeah, uh, the lowest of the lot. Um, but he, but the the whole fight. It was sort of like him definitely losing. And, you know, you had two fights previously where Inosuke, he got like his fight was ended short by a different guy who was better than him. And then oh, I like other... that guy. Actually, I yeah. forgot about him. He's the guy that originally like meets Tanjiro. Tanjiro? Is that his mm. name? Mm. Yeah. The yeah. main character uh, and like helps him get to where he is to become a demon slayer. And he's just kind of like super dismissive of Inosuke and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> he's like, he just, so he, Inosuke is like yelling at him tight. about how he wants to fight. And then he, it, while that's happening, like he takes a few steps, like you, it just frames his feet and then it comes back and Inosuke is all tied up and hanging from it. It's really funny. I like, I like that guy. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fucking good. And then he says something and he walks away. And he's like, well, what did you say? I can't fucking hear you. When I you're can't hear you. Away. You're mumbling and walking away. Come back. <laughs> Uh, so I was expecting that fight to end that way, but actually what you got was this incredibly beautiful, like, five, ten minute, like, scene which starts off with a with a song that is actually playing throughout the whole movement. I hated that song. I love it. I just want to throw that out there. It did not fit the fight at all. Oh, I disagree. I felt it fit it really well. I felt mm. that, like, the whole, the, the, the climax for me, it worked perfectly. And the way that it, the... Basically, then it was like Nezko and um, I've forgotten what his fucking name is now. Uh, Tanjiro. Tanjiro. Uh, yeah. Like they actually, for the first time, used their powers together to defeat an evil, to defeat a demon. Um, and whilst it could, you could argue it was purely coincidence, it was actually for me really well animated. It was sort of brought home for me their like their family, their relationship beyond where they are now. Before that 
you know you got you've got a bit about his dad uh you got a bit about like him knowing more than one water breathing technique t- breathing technique which was interesting because they never brought that up before uh which again yeah, it's pretty pretty deus ex machina <laughs> <laughs> but for me that was all fine because you had this you had this incredible like animation sequence where he thought he was losing and then he 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 reflected on his past which again yeah, and he was, was a, like oh another... i really do have the power of french <laughs> i mean family which again was a won. thing that was brought up before when he was like wh- when the blonde guy was dying from the poison and i was like yeah well when you're in this situation you relive your past life to try and get to try and that get was help. a that was a pretty neat connection i agree and like, and so little. That connection was there, and I thought that was fucking smart. And then it got through like some of his, and then it zoomed out as well to this incredible like pat, like broken glass like cuts of all his different past lives and past attacks and past fights, which you see for like a few seconds, just as this wall of deadly uh like spider web uh razor wire comes to attack him. And then he manages to find the exact path that got him out. And the result was this incredibly beautiful animation of him cutting through stuff, jumping, combining 3D and 2D in the most beautiful way. And then this incredible final attack as he chops his head off. It was fucking superb. I was very emotional. And then on top of that, you had the music crescendoing to this beautiful like finale. And I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. This is why I watch this show. That's, that song did not fit the fight. But oh, I besides that, I, I like how Nezuka was... pulled out of nowhere, her pulled out of her ass, like, hey, I can do magic now. Yeah, <laughs> her demon power was, uh, it almost felt like, hmm, she awakened to it just then, which is not the first time that a, a show like this has done it. Because at the end of the day, this is a shonen battle manga. Like, Sure is. And <laughs> it is nothing but that. Uh, I mean, in, in fairness to it, though, it's, it's actually. So it's been seeding f- throughout it. Okay, what ha- instead of Nezuko the demons as just like their enemies, and the demons all feed on blood, but Nezuko doesn't for some reason. She seems to go and sleep instead. And when she comes out of the sleep, she doesn't have the need to feed, and we have no idea what's going on in there until this episode, when we actually get a a quick sequence of what's going on when Nezuko goes to sleep. And in this case, it's she's talking with her mother, and oh, like, is that what you thought? That's interesting. I didn't think I didn't think that was that at all because this was different from her going to sleep. This was her being knocked out. So this was her being forcefully, you know, forcefully sleeping as opposed to. Yeah, it's the same thing. Sleeping. She was asleep to recover. Like it's the same thing. Yeah, maybe. And, and I don't know. The the idea that. All these times when we've seen her sleeping, she's been she's been maybe with her mum, and that's what's been keeping her calm. It's like nice in a way, and sort of like makes her more than just this mysterious being. It makes her a person because it's her connection to her family, which is keeping her that way. And the fact that we after is it what how many episodes are we on 19 now? Episodes. 19, 19 episodes 19 episodes we finally imagine taking to... 19 episodes to get something this cool <laughs> i i mean you guys have always been complaining especially you duncan i'm calling you out for task here uh 
There's I nothing. think I complain more than him, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, I'm just wanting a cool action fight. I'm wanting a cool fight scene. and you just That's not what I want. Cool I want a better scene. story outside of that, which is the I, main problem I have with the show. It well, is a cool... It The fights are fucking awesome. Everything else about it, it blows. Well, I, finally, I'm enjoying all the character interactions. Personally, I really like all of them. I don't have any problems with any of them. I now like Nezuko them. can actually speak. Maybe she can actually have character no, she, interactions. No, she's not she going to speak after this. Don't worry. No. No, she, this she was this was uh, specifically to cast a spell, and that's it. God damn it! Yeah. I, I, as I say, please don't roll it back, please, please. I don't want her to talk. I think it's fucking funny that she has this gag in her mouth. To be honest, uh, it's hilarious. I don't care. Let her have some agency. I know that. I know that she does talk eventually, John. Unfortunately, she has plenty of agency. Yeah, she has loads of agency. I like half of the fight was because she had she jumped in the way and took the blow, and then again half the fight was him like the the evil demon being like why you why were you doing this you're a demon you're protecting a human that goes against everything that we believe in and then and then him being like oh but you have bonds what is this bond why are you complaining and then like as well as uh tanjiro saying that you've got fake bonds with your family it's she has total agency if anything she got okay, had the most agency in so that fight okay tell me something nezuko wants apart from to protect her brother Tell me something that T- Tanjiro wants apart from to protect her sister. Boom. <laughs> That's the whole show is shallow, dude. <laughs> Every single it's character fine. is one note and nothing but. Again, but you know, it's early days. It's early days. It's, it's nineteen episodes. It's not early. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. John, you'll be changing your mind. Episode fifty-eight. It'll it'll really really bring you around. <sighs> you know, I okay. I want to move off the characters for a second because I realized something else that really bothers me about the show. <laughs> um, th- in a, in most battle shonen or most good battle shonen, like they also have a cool world to explore and 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 go out and and find cool things to see and do. And they have uh, they have they do a lot of world building in those, these types of shows. This one doesn't have that. It has there are demons we must kill them, except for when they introduce the big vampire dad. And then they immediately toss that out the fucking window to go do other things. Also, that was the coolest environment in the in the entire oh, show so far. It was the yeah, city. Yeah, the city, the city. Like, and, and then they went back out into the woods to fight more goddamn demons in the fucking woods. And I just want cool... I don't know. ...world. I don't, yeah, like... I mean, I'm tired of seeing the fight, same shit. Them, them fighting in a city would be very spectacular because, like, they're, they're chucking entire like trees around here and so and destroying like entire glades of of massive trees like so i'm not sure what happens well actually no we've we've had them fight at the doctor's surgery so out of out, we've had yeah, like yeah but that was different scales i felt mm. yeah but they're, they're ramping it up i think that's that's the issue when you you're having superpowers fight in um urban areas because otherwise you end up with the man of steel thing where that you're not seeing anyone getting horribly squished on screen, but you can only imagine the casualty list must be in like seven figures or something. Yeah. No, I, it, yeah. It's less that I want the fights to be in the city and more that I want the world to feel more real and less ephemeral. Because, like I said, they they went from fighting into the forest to going to visit the city to going back to fighting in the forest and they find that cool house and they do that cool 3d cg thing and i i like that but it was still a pretty bland environment and then now they're fighting in the forest again yeah and 
I it's mean, just they not never, they never interesting. Left the forest. They went. I think did they take a detour to go to that. Yeah, place? I, well, like the house was. <laughs> I think the house was a detour, and then yeah. they ended up. Or like is, he met the coward guy, and the coward guy was going. I don't remember who cares. Is it roughly um, the same era as Kenshin? Uh, uh, no, I think no, Kenshin's it's later. Later, than just that. a bit later, yeah. is it, or significantly? Because it it feels like that I same. Mean, Kenshin that, doesn't. I, Kenshin doesn't have elect- running electricity, from my knowledge. No, I, I think they they have gas lamps and stuff. So it's yeah, they have like a fucking Gatling gun in Kenshin. So you know. <laughs> I think like yeah, it's. Well, it, it takes place in the Meiji period, so they would have Gatling guns, but not yeah. necessarily electricity. It's, it's that same sort of conflict between traditionalism and modernism, which I think someone else mentioned in, when we were talking about the show earlier. And, like, if all they're going to do is sit in the uh, countryside and have ninja battles, that doesn't bring any of the the modern aspect in. And it'll be more interesting if we do get to see some applications of of modernity to these vampires rather than just being old throwbacks in um, kimonos. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that there's probably going to be a strong correlation to the advance in technology as they as the power levels of the <sighs> uh, vampires increase because the main guy is very much a city folk, clearly, like, totally... Yeah, but uh, he doesn't... I mean, granted, we saw him for, like, five minutes on screen so far but he doesn't use technology he's just a super vampire no i more mean sort of more integrated into society and more sort of like he okay. is he is sort of like a, a mobster as it were as opposed to like some spider children in a wood um i don't I have a lot of faith in that to be honest <laughs> <laughs> that that is it that's an that's if you say to me okay you can either watch a uh sort of uh a, a uh, anime about a a vampire mobster and the, and the all the sort of crime and stuff going on around him, or I can watch a show about people fighting spider children in the forest. I'll probably think that the the former is something I haven't seen before, and yeah, more interesting. I mean, I hadn't seen I hadn't seen Spider. I I don't know. Like I I really like this. I really like the show, and I think that again the the thing that they're really pushing home is the relationship between Tanjiro and Nezuko. And uh, I think it, for me, it really works. It really works. Their relationship is something that it's probably been done. It's done before a lot of times, but I think it does it really well this time. It does it really, really well. And it really is Eh. believable that they have a strong love and affection for each other. uh, That is what that worked for me. And I thought, that final fight was sort of like the culmination of their bond uh, to defeat, a, again, a different type of familial bond, which is based on fear rather than something that's based on love and trust. And I think that that was really fucking strong. And then also the way it looked fucking cool because he blew up a thing with purple explosions. Then the blood went on his sword and the purple explosion turned into a white explosion that then chopped a guy's head off. It was fucking cool. It was great. Loved it. The way you've talked about it just then has just made me think that there's one other show which has like a sim, a very similar structure to it, and that's um, Full Metal Alchemist, where you've got um, uh, El, the, uh, no, it's, and you've got one tr- basically one trying to restore the humanity of of the other, but with Al obviously being a far more um, passive presence. No, 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 a far more active presence than Nezuko so far. And if Nezuko becomes more Al like, then I'd be happy with that. I'm happy with you know the way what, Nezuko you know is what now. Full, you know what Full Metal Alchemist has over Demon Slayer? 
a world that is interesting. But then again, like Rory Kenshin is also the same world. Like I, I don't know whether you didn't like that or not. Rory Kenshin has world building. Yes, this thing does not. It's just demon. But there are vampires. Just, kill them. I, <laughs> <laughs> That's it, dude. I'm not. I'm not going to tell you wrong. But there is a bit of world building. You know, you got that that forest wrapped in trees. You got that one little That's not, hovel That's that not... they go back to. It's building up, and I think that again, they're That's not, not world, too focused for- on the world. They're more focused on the relationship between the sister and the brother. And if that's what they really care about, which it feels like it is, then it's working for me. It's. Mm, I, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm told there are other shows you two want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, JoJo Part Five fucking ended. It was fucking great. Fucking I didn't want to talk ending. about this. That ending sucked. <laughs> the the last two the last the Rolling Stones thing just completely deflated the climax of the show. It should have happened before the climax, not after, because it didn't it also didn't really fucking matter. Who cares? Who cares why he died and how he died? It didn't matter. Would I, you like to give a little bit of context here? I think so oh. the, okay, so the final fight happened between uh, Diablo and uh golden real quick also i got another bone to pick with you andy you told Mm -hmm. me that uh uh what's diablo's other personality i forgot his name say it again yeah you told me that he was not the boss fuck you oh yeah i know i was just doing it to fuck you (laughs) yeah i know i knew i knew at the time you were wrong and i was just waiting to confirm it and now i know yeah, I know. Also, anyway, go on. It had been like years since I read that, so I couldn't quite remember. But I do remember I was right in that he changes his physical. <laughs> okay, go back to the ending. Go back to the ending. So the final battle with Diablo and Golden Wind X uh, Requiem is a fight which sort of ends in a really odd way because it's all the the whole the final fight is sort of a race and again another like clever fight to kill. Uh, the silver chariot requiem and then get a um an arrow piece which is which you know it would then be implanted in the stand and then the stand will become unstoppable so both diablo and uh, jojo giorno were fighting to get it and it was sort of a race and then what happens is giorno gets it um and then becomes golden wind uh, ex- uh exper- no golden experience requiem and then <laughs> basically fucking wins because you don't know how. Uh, I should say, I do think that the uh, at the top, I should just say the manga, I think, explains this a bit better. So how the manga... So what happens is Golden Experience Requiem puts uh, Diablo into a time loop of dying over and over and not, over and over. Not even that. Golden Wind Experience takes all causality and effect away from from Diablo. So he that's what I just, just, well, he doesn't just fucking just said. That's what I said, dude. He doesn't just over and over again. He, he is... He is effectively, uh, he's still alive, but in a constant state of uh, death. It's insane. And I've, and that is a weird ending. And it doesn't, I don't think it explains it very well. Um, I was also it, under- it shows it and that's enough. Like, yeah. it, it is exactly what I said. No matter what fancy words you put to it, it is what I said. And that's fine. I thought um, there was a thing which was explained as well, where it was like, he is in a time loop and the only way he'll get out of it is admitting his own defeat but because of his character and the strength and what he believes in he'll never admit defeat so therefore he'll never get out the time loop but i could have missed be misreading that and misremembering it from the manga that i read like five years ago 
So yeah, I, I don't I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know. The, but I liked after- I liked. Um, my turn to talk. My turn. Sorry, <laughs> I liked I liked that conclusion to the fight. I thought it was it suited punishing Diablo. It was very, very uh ridiculous and very doesn't JoJo. make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it was a JoJo. Bizarre uh, adventure. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked I liked how it ended. The problem that I have with how it portrayed that ending is that it dragged like it showed him dying like four different times, maybe it's three or three, it's three or four. Um, and each time he was, he had like the same reaction of being incredibly confused as to where he was. And then he died and then it did it again. And then it did it again. And it kind of, it felt like it really dragged it out like too long, but at the same time, it also felt like it wasn't long enough. And I wanted it to be more chaotic, like to just show death after death after yeah, death yeah. after a few times and just like sort of drive it home. I, I felt think- like they could have, they could have yeah. executed that better. I did not dislike that part of the ending, but I think I, that it could, they could have... I agree. I think they could have executed that a bit better, but I also think that by that third time when he, she saw, he saw the little girl, he realized what was going on, and then it was also a complete change in his character from this super confident, super strong guy who would who took like anything he'll be able to conquer in any small sort of... Um, problem that gets in his way he's able to overcome it to literally a child like fucking getting him cowering in fear is a complete 180 <laughs> from yeah. his original character so I no, really, definitely yeah i really like that the way that they did that and then what it goes on to is it goes on to a story which i genuinely didn't think that they'll put in because like you're aspiring to it it I'll, kind of feels I'll, like a bit of a side story I'll, i want to get a little bit of context too like the the culmination to that fight was episode 37 and then they made me wait a fucking month for the next two episodes <laughs> that they put into a, a block uh so it's a dual episode um or like a single episode double length and that's what it ended up being was this side story so, that yeah it's a side story for the called the rolling stone and it's about an artist who has a stand unbeknownst to him and the stand shows uh everybody's the way that people die uh and it feels very i can understand why it feels very pointless to you john i feel that i understand why it feels like an after story and something that isn't very necessary especially because they're ending walking to bucciarati's body but i actually really like that ending for numerous reasons for a start i think like it is showing araki as well as sort of like shonen jumps style of sort of like not too much caring about the final like the final beats that you know are going to happen you know butcherati's dead you know that they're going to get there and they're going to grieve to his body but like the thing that araki wants is it doesn't want you to be grieving over the what's lost but remembering what they had and the great and the great fun times and and like fights and experiences that you had along the way and that's what that final fight shows because it's not got Giorno it's just the original back gang uh Mister Fugo uh Narancia like all coming back and finding this um stand which is a stone that effectively tells people the way they die and then what happens is Bucciarati instead of accepting his fate, which is essentially how he dies when he fights Diablo the first time in the monastery with a cut throat, he fucking punches that thing to pieces uh, and then walks away and is like, ain't nothing going to destroy me. Uh, which nicely explains to me, like, 
the and I didn't piece this the first time. It explains how he survives the fight with Diablo, because he is because the Rolling Stone has changed his fate. His fate is now changed from him dying and maybe like nothing changing at all, and the world not like and the Diablo still being at large, and the rest of the gang are probably either dead or like still serving someone else. Um, because without Bucciarati, the team would never have gone that extra mile to actually bot- to keep finding him and to keep hunting Diablo. It instead shows, you know, well, now there's three deaths, but it's all for a better cause because Diablo's dead and now Giorno's the fucking gang leader. And that's a cool reference at the he's very beginning. He's a gang star. He's, he's a gang star. And oh, that's God. also... A cool reference at the very be- beginning of the opening is exactly the beginning of the ending scene uh, in the fi- in the final scene. It's, it's which was a really cool reference. Um, All right, I- so <laughs> here's why I think Rolling Stones is pointless. When when he dies to Diablo in in at that point it's just the boss, but it's Diablo uh, in in the like the below the lighthouse. It was a lighthouse, right? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, he dies, and then Giorno finds him and like tries to revive him like mm. for a long, long time. Like he mm. puts a lot of work into it, and eventually, like he comes back, but he's fucked up, right? He's not mm-hmm. bleeding. He doesn't feel pain. Uh, so clearly, something's wrong. It implies that Jojo, Jojo, Giorno, whatever you want to call him, that he did something and it went wrong, and that was enough. Like right, and then oh, later, no, like... I disagree. I don't think it did imply that he did something. And he did something wrong. He did something too late, and he couldn't save him. And he saw yes, and then the he came back anyway. Team. Which, by the events <laughs> in that didn't... show at that time, imply that that's Jorno's doing. Like, there's literally, if you did not know Rolling Stones existed, there's literally no other way to interpret that <laughs> series of events. I agree. I think it it's saying that it's definitely stating that. Giorno did something to save him, but even Giorno right. doesn't understand. But then it doesn't explain like the rest of how he feels no pain and how he doesn't really. Right, some it's of the just stuff it, that like I said, it's like... implied that Giorno revived him, but something went wrong, and that something sure. wrong and is that he doesn't feel know, pain and, and that he's slowly that, deteriorating. And now you know that that's not the case. Now you know that it's actually which is why it's pointless stone. because we didn't need that explanation. Like it, it was retconning something that didn't need to happen. Like it, it, it's unnecessary. It may, I see where you're coming from, um, and that's I agree. But then I, like I said, I, I also just like that the final memories of the show is about how the memories of a really fun adventure with a bunch of characters who, after like fifty odd episodes, you go to love and really enjoy their character reactions and their characters. Like I think that that it doesn't take away from that. That's the final thing that Araki wants you to think about. It's not about their deaths. It's about how they were and the characters that they... And the, portraying the the fun that they were having as opposed to the misery of Bucciarati's death. I think he could have done that a different way. He didn't need to re-explain Bucciarati's situation. That's it. It, it didn't... Yeah, sure. But it, it, I think it gave Bucciarati's death uh, a new context which was interesting then because it was like is this then the will of fate or is this the will of him defeating fate and sort of is this him is this him finally like surpassing his own fate and paving his new path and it's sort of like you know you talk about Diablo and the way that he can re- rewind time and he can change things to fit exactly how he wants this is you know 
effect and causality exactly being destroyed and Butcherati going up and doing his own thing. I think it's pretty clever. Um, but then again, that's me overanalyzing a show that I adore. So, <laughs> so yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. Well, speaking of overanalyzing <laughs> shows that we adore, why don't we take a break and then come back for a theme after that? <laughs> And we're back. For our theme this episode, we're going to move into kind of talking about a studio, specifically Kyoto Animation, which has been the favorite of several people on this podcast, but has especially been in our minds and hearts and other emotion-feeling extremities uh, because of the arson um, back uh, about a month or so ago. But um, I figured we'd start out by talking about how we came to be aware of Kyoto Animation, what our first uh, what our first show was, and kind of what our relationship with the studio is. And I think we've all kind of spent the past couple of weeks to watch different shows and, you know, come come with something to the table. I think the first show I properly full-on watched was uh, probably Lucky Star. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, it, it didn't really do much to me. And then the thing that made me maybe take notes was K-On!, uh, which I really loved. I think before that, I also tried a bit of Harahi, but I got the first DVD and then got told that it was rubbish because it was in the wrong order or something. <laughs> and that I no. should have watched it in that order. No. And then I was like... Ah. I don't get why people do that. Uh, it bothers me. I have a, is The DVD is in airing order, right? No, the DVD is um, the, DVD is the uh, film, the... Uh, Adventures of Mikuru-chan. Is it um, chronological? And then, and then, it, and then yeah. it starts chronological after that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But yeah, it does just... start with the weakest and most insider jokey of the of the <laughs> uh, episodes. Yeah, it felt that. And then I was like, okay, I'll download it. And then I lost like practically all the interest in watching it, <laughs> which is a shame. Uh, so, uh, And yeah, generally, like my feelings on KyoAni as a studio has kind of been off and on. Uh, I think that k is great, Clanad is great, Lucky Star, I think, if I rewatch it, I'll really enjoy it. Um, but then anything after that, uh, Nichijo, Amagi, like, I, I love a lot of their stuff, um, but and I'm very ambivalent towards a lot more of their stuff. Um, I think possibly their weakest one was Tamako Market, but I also am well aware I didn't give enough time to that show for it to breathe. It just felt very much like they were just trying to do you sure it's not myriad keller's phantom world <laughs> again i i didn't watch uh all of that i think i did watch an episode or two um but i yeah i didn't really watch it it felt very much like they were going for i felt that was pretty popular um as far as the light novel it, was pretty popular as well but it was a pretty um, trashy show very uh heavy on the fan service so you know yeah it I is what that. it is 
the uh, what is it? Is it the limbo dancing? Yeah, there's, there, that that scene is yeah. pretty hilarious. That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, there's a was... scene where a woman with extremely large uh, breasts has to do limbo under a very low bar, and it yeah, is and, she and like then... she like bounces up and down to make. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to make her boobs bounce further and further down and then she like squeezes under during the downswing <laughs> it felt it's, very it's ridiculous. It, is ridiculous it felt very uh, much like they were doing that for the jokes as opposed oh, to pure yeah. like pure fan uh pure fan service but there was a bit of a lot of fan service oh yeah the show. rest of the show is very fan service but that that's particular scene is really funny uh, it is just, just just physical physical body humor is generally pretty funny for me i was gonna say i think that's probably the most fan service kerani's ever got could be wrong in the i i mean i mean i not not to, not to tell on myself i can go ahead and say that there is the whole thing in the first episode of haruki and all six subsequent episodes where haruki aggressively molests mikuru's breasts and makes her dress in a bunny outfit um maybe not <laughs> maybe fan service with a kind of relevance to the plot but still very much fan service um it's true it's true I'm yeah, but what about back. free? Free is pretty fan servicey. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> a different type of fan service, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's aimed at a different, uh, different market, different target. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got a lot of opinions, John. What's your history with Kyoto Animation? I have a weird history with them because I don't think until I started like rewatching or not rewatching until I like I stopped watching anime for a while and then I picked it back up some years ago now, uh, and that's sort of what led into this podcast. But anyway, um. I think I didn't really know who Kyoani was until around the time of Beyond the Boundary. Uh, and I hmm. only picked it up because people were talking about how it was Kyoani. And I was like, oh, what? That's not what I thought they were known for. I don't even like my first show that I watched from them was either Full Metal Panic from Ofu or Melancholy of Ruizuzumiya. I don't know which one. Uh, they were both pretty early. Um, and I did not know what Kyoani was. In fact, back then, I didn't really follow any studios. The only name i knew in anime was shinichiro watanabe because cowboy bebop um <laughs> oh and yoko kano because good musics cowboy bebop, musics. <laughs> cowboy bebop. <laughs> yeah, yeah and well actually i i think i learned her name when i watched wolf's rain but that's neither here nor there um i like kyoani a lot all the stuff i've seen i have liked a lot which I'm not going to do the whole list, but my favorites are Nichi, probably Nichijo, Hyoka, and uh, I really liked um, uh, Sound Euphonium, Hibika Euphonium, whatever you mm. want to call it. Mm. Uh, it's one of the more recent things. It's a drama, it, like a slice of life drama about a high school band, which I was in band, and I really, really liked how accurate it was to a lot of the things that I went through when I was in band. And then uh, they more recently released a movie which is a sort of spin-off of Hibika Euphonium called Liz and the Blue Bird and it takes place at the same well I think it takes place a year after Sound Euphonium but because some of the characters overlap but like they don't really focus on any of the characters that were the focus of the series it's these two little side characters who become the main characters hmm. um, and it is really really good it is definitely now one of my favorite things Kyoto Animation has ever done um, it's beautiful it has a very different style to sound euphonium and in fact a different style to a lot of what they do it's very it's very soft color palettes kind of almost watercolory but not quite um you know like sort of soft line soft edging um it's it's very very pretty um the story is about 
uh, girl who plays the oboe and a girl who plays a flute and their best friends and the oboe girl is kind of like super uh what's the word where you're like insular no not insular it applies introverted introverted is definitely a word but i was thinking more like uh like pulled in doesn't want to withdrawn thank you that's the exact word i was looking for um the flute player it like their best friends uh the flute player is very very outgoing and friendly with everybody and liz and the bluebird is about them and it's sort of contrasted with uh the story in universe called Liz and the Bluebird. I don't know if it's based on anything real or not. I'd be surprised if it is. But um, it's about this girl who lives alone and she's like a, this This random girl shows up like on her doorstep basically and they become really good friends. And at the end of the story, like this girl that showed up happened to be a bird. So she turns back into a bird and flies away. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of like a fairy tale sort of thing. Um, and the reason that she does that is because like the main character of that story i don't remember any of their names um but she's she she wants the bird to go away because she knows that the bird can fly and be free and sees that she's sort of keeping her trapped by being good friends i guess like i said it's contrasted with the story of the actual two characters who are in the high school band like one of them's the bird and one of them is the girl liz liz is her name wow <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Part of this show again? I've forgotten it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, one of them is the bird, one of them is the girl, and then they're also playing this song that's based off of the the story. Um, uh, the it's a big you know big piece. It's got like four parts or whatever. Um, music stuff. Uh, I keep coming back to this, but it's it the the it's a contrast of this storybook with these two characters. One of them is the bird. One of them is Liz. And at first you think that the the Liz is the reserved girl, the the withdrawn girl who doesn't like she she really like wants to keep this uh, other friend of hers, Nozome, Nozomi, sorry. Um mm-hmm. it's Mizore and Mizom and Nozomi. Um Nozomi is the flute girl. Uh, she wants to keep Nozomi around her because like she's been friends for a long time and she's her only friend and she's very afraid to go out and and meet other people, but she's really good at the oboe. Um, and then Nozomi's not so not as good at the flute, but you know, so it becomes a sort of uh, uh, conflict. Um, and then it, around halfway through the point, do you ever watch like a a show or a movie and you like get an inkling of something that is that you think is true but aren't sure is true, and then later, and then you start doubting yourself, and then it happens yeah, to be true anyway, and you feel you, really good about it. You get mm-hmm. like you get like a hunch, and then you're like, I think I think it's this, and then yeah, I know exactly that feeling. Yeah, and that's what happened here. So like a part way through the movie, I was like, wait, are their roles actually reversed? And it turns out their roles were reversed. So the one that doesn't want to let go is Nozomi, but she decides to in the end let go because Mizore wants to go like become a professional oboe player. So she's going to go to this big music uh, school and and continue studying. Um, God, this all sounds really boring when I just explain it. I loved the movie. It was very, very touching. Um, I loved the characters, all of them, including the side characters to this i guess uh like she was they were both the leads of their sections um uh mizore the oboe girl um uh like i said she's very withdrawn um but her her juniors uh like really want to get to know her and want to start practicing with her but she's like she keeps denying it but after a while she opens up and that's sort of the start of when they flip their roles and yeah i it's just really good (laughs) (laughs) 
I liked nice, it. Huh? I watched it yesterday, and I loved every minute of it. And I highly recommend it. it. You don't you don't at all need to know about the proper series, so please watch it. It's an hour and a half, and it's it's really good. Sounds and... good. Yeah, I should yeah. say the thing I really like about Kyoani as far as sort of they're very unique as a studio for for numerous reasons. Like we've already talked about. Uh, we might not have mentioned that they actually pay staff proper wages and give them like it's not based on per uh per keyframe as it is in a lot of animation studios. It's a normal hourly wage, um, and then on top of that, their animation the way that they the way that normal animators do it it's about uh, I think twelve keyframes per second. The way that Kyoani does it um, is it's the same. It treats it's TV shows like it treats its films in that it will double up those keyframes to mm-hmm. 24 per second. So that's why with a lot of like a lot of constant um, Kyoani, like the way you can usually tell it's a Kyoani is if it looks fucking gorgeous and if it looks consistently gorgeous throughout. Uh, and yeah. that is the reason why is because they're very rigorous and sort of like uh, steadfast on keeping a high pro- quality uh, animation and I think if anything that's always been uh, the real boon to watching a Kyoani it's just like you know that even if even if like the show isn't always giving you what you want uh, thematically or story wise you're always going to get constantly wowed over by beautiful art and animation and I know mm-hmm. that you guys were really harsh on Violet Evergarden which is fine but I also think that <laughs> I also think that that show is possibly their most beautiful like just the way that like they constantly animate her uh, robot hands and it's not like oh we've got gloves so the robot hands can be drawn very easily she fucking takes those gloves off and then they animate beautifully robot hands and i'm just like the amount of level the level of precision and detail that goes into animating those goddamn hands must have taken forever and uh, it's that sort of attention <laughs> to detail and care that really steps Kyoani up uh, amongst other animation studios. Yeah, I uh, didn't like Violet Evergarden, as you acknowledged, uh, but it was very, very well animated. Uh, all their stuff is, I think, Liz and the Bluebird is right up there with it. But Yeah, you know. I could believe that. I could very much believe that. Um, Something yeah. I really like about Sound Euphonium is how accurately they animate the instruments, like, which sounds mm. trivial to maybe or or, <laughs> no. or, or who, who cares to some people but to me it was fantastic and it really drew me into the world i i love, love i mean it, yeah. it's it's interesting how sorry it's interesting how like the animation style the animation style for kyoani is after kaon became and i think this is a problem with made with kaon is that everything practically everything after kaon became it looks like kaon but different faces uh, and I felt that that was a big criticism for a lot of Kyoani stuff. But then it's also interesting how after Hibike Euphonium, which is all about like brass and sort of gear, like valves and stuff, it then goes into like Violet Evergarden, which is also like steampunky and is also about valves and um, pipes and shit. So I don't know. That was cool. But anyway, what were you going to say, Duncan? Apologies. I was going to say, so it's, do they have the same care to the hands of the the players that they do to the instruments john yeah absolutely like watching watching that's that's always the thing 
Yeah, watching Kosaka play trumpet is like, oh, that's what it looked like when I played trumpet, except she's way better than me. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> I'm sure you yeah. look great, John. I, uh, I was the best in my section without ever practicing, so if I had practiced, I would have been really good. Oh, no. But, it's regrets. You know, yeah. yeah uh, no. I still I have my super expensive trumpet, and one day I'll pick it back up and start learning again. <laughs> I agree. I, I also have a trumpet at home that one day I really want to get back into, because... <laughs> But I, I don't think I ever will. But, you know, no. it's also interesting if you ever look at sort of like their um, their catalogue. Most of these are light novels or original stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I think like Haruhi had a author, like a very famous author, uh, visual designer for his, for the light novels, which is why it looks a lot like that. And then you've also got Clanad uh, and Air and Canon, which are all, uh, again, key animation and they have taken their animation style um and made it look better because uh, i'm not gonna lie that that key art on the visual novels is terrible but then you also have stuff like dragon maid which looks stunning and looks very different from anything that they've done before mm-hmm. so you know it's well let's go ahead and even though we've ranged pretty far afield like Jeff, did you have much of a relationship with Kyoto Animation before coming on this podcast? Um, I think the only thing I had watched before coming on the podcast was the melancholy of Harumi Suzumiya, and I honestly could not tell you why I watched it in the first place because <laughs> I, there, was, I was, a, there in... was a time around like 2008 to 2010 where that was like the number one recommendation of every single person on mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So. But like, I don't even know if it if it was because of that, because like at the time I watched it was I think mid two thousands. Um, and I was just in a total anime wilderness. Like I would just sort of watch something that caught my eye. And I think maybe I watched like an AMV or something. And I was like, Oh, that show looks all right. And then I started watching it and it, I, you know, the order it happened to be, uh, in the version that I saw it in was the airing order. And I was just completely fucking baffled. But I mean, true to form, that's something that will, frequently pull me through a show mm-hmm. and so I, I i watched it and enjoyed it and then similarly with uh dragon maiden nichi joe like i don't even know if i knew if it was kyoto animation before i watched it it was just oh this looks weird this looks interesting people have been talking about this i should check this out and i had big plans to watch uh hyoka specifically for this episode but then i had no internet for like a week and a half and couldn't make that happen unfortunately but i can say that <laughs> I'm I'm consistently blown away by, like you guys were saying, like every Kyoto animation show looks fantastic, and maybe it's just like you know my dumb brain, but I always think of you know big fancy prestige studios as you know wanting to keep the tone high, and maybe that's just because like I don't think about it in terms of anime, but like they will treat comedies and they will treat like raunchy sex comedies with the same attention to detail and care and craft as they would any other you know what we would consider to be oscar bait if it was made in in hollywood and i just i i i find that to be an an interesting trait of kyoani where you know they have this 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 aura of prestige but they're not they're not above <laughs> yeah. making the kind of stuff that I like to roll around in. Yeah, I, this is going to touch a little bit on the show that I ended up watching the first half of Srune, Um, because it is just like Kyoto Animation doing 
a fairly serious like uh sports anime about this kid this kid getting back into archery after he has a bad blowout in junior high and is no longer able to really perform and i got to learn all about target panic which is apparently an actual thing um but there's like neurological treatments for because it's just something about how the brain like processes and perceives information that you'd freak out when you see a target and you like will let your arrow go or not be able to let the arrow go or hold the bow wrong because like your hands seize up and it's like an actual thing like the yips um which are also an actual thing i learned um but for me at least like i i guess i've had that relationship with kyoto animation from the beginning because uh technically speaking my first uh my first kyoto animation shows were full metal panic fumofu and full metal panic the second raid but i didn't but then i watched Kaon and Lucky Star, and that's what I thought Kyoto Animation was, and I never really associated um, them yeah. with Full Metal Panic until I until like the melancholy of Fukuzumi was blowing up, and I was like, oh, okay, so this is like they just do everything. They do wacky slapstick comedy with Nichijo. Uh, they do like a fairly uh, sweethearted, slightly anodyne like mystery solving with Hyoka. Um, they do <laughs> like man meat fan service with Free. So yeah, they've 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 kind of been everywhere, and they have this this very broad diet for, as Andy said, having a very strong house style that does. I mean, especially like there was a whole thing where people would Photoshop a uh, Yui's face onto every other character in Ko and claim that you couldn't tell the difference, and it wasn't the best argument in the world because you could kind of tell the difference. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure the point they felt the point was being made really well, but like I. Even though I've kind of dropped off of uh, Kyoto Animation post uh, post Nichijo, like uh, I I didn't like uh, love Chinibio and other delusion delusions. I didn't really find any interest in Tamako Market, but I'm glad that they're doing their thing out there. And I love Dragon Maid, and Serena actually ended up being really good. I'll talk a bit more about it later. But yeah, I've I've enjoyed that their their adaptability and their like strength of a house style, which I'm sure is in part to do with like better work conditions and stuff. So Ben, um, I think I started r- roughly the same as you. I think I, st- the first Kyoani I, I technically saw would have been the full metal or panic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and then lucky star, uh, although I've never seen Kaon, but there we go. Um, do you <laughs> think like, I think you'd like Kaon. keep going. Do you think that our, our perception of where, we start recognizing Koyani as a studio is actually something which comes from our cultural engagement with them. Or do you think that comes from them having a string of successes and being able to develop their own style? I think that's an impossible question to answer. Honestly, I, I do I do think that um, success is kind of a self-legitimizing force, especially in anime where it's either like go big or go home like low there's cult hits exist in anime but don't sustain studios like they would in movies yeah because i know we've talked about how like you feel like this uh this shaft pre-madoka and post-madoka and yeah and like i wondered if there's a moment like that for kyoani would it be harumi i mean i think that har that harhi is the first time that they like really like i think that was when a lot of people at least in america and the english-speaking world like learned to follow Kyoto animation as a force rather than, you know, doing a couple, like what did they make before that? Full metal panic. No one knew them from that. 
Yeah. Um, Lucky Star. I mean, Lucky, Lucky Star's really Lucky popular. Star's a year later. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Fumofu was the first thing they made, and then... Air, and then Canon. Air, Haruhi Suzumiya, Canon, Lucky Star, Clanad, Kaon. Clanad was, like, generally very well received. And, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I yeah, but I don't think people associate it with necessarily with the Kyoto Animation brand. I think it was much more of a key. It was a key thing that some some fuckers made. Who knows? I honestly so. didn't know Clanad was key until today, <laughs> <laughs> or Kyoto Animation until today. Until uh, right I now, I definitely, I definitely remember also the. Uh, I think it was around Hyoka. Um, the and there was a Kyoani like ident at the beginning which was a bunch of kids running down a slope and then planting flowers to say Kyoani. Does anybody else remember this? Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That yeah, was... do not. Okay. Maybe that was just me, but uh <laughs> it, it's all was... in your head, Andy. <laughs> that no, well that was to me very much like them sort of coming out and sort of planting putting their, their putting their brand on things, yeah. Putting their like brand saying, Hey, this is us. Yeah, much like, you know, they put as soon as Ghibli put um Totoro on their logo, which is only yeah, after, yeah, yeah. like, it felt a very similar thing, like, this is who we are, this is what we represent. Um, so, yeah, that, and I think that was around Hyoka. I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> but I definitely remember seeing that and being like, huh, that's, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah. Which is funny because I think a lot of people were really disappointed by Hyoka expecting, like, a non-supernatural Haruhi Suzumiya and... Thank God it wasn't that, but I do I do distinctly remember at the time people being like, "Oh, Kyoani's just making another like cute people in high school doing cute things," which, to be fair, is their brand, but it's a good brand and they're very good at it. So, yeah, I think that was uh, a lot of people's main complaint with Kyoani. I think, especially after Kaon, uh, it's like it's just cute girls doing cute things. Um, and then I was like, yeah, but they're doing it really good. Yeah, especially the first season, the first season of Kaon is incredibly tight comedy, and people remember it as being like, oh, fat-legged little girls, like, stumbling and, like, making, like, you know, weird spoonerisms and otherwise just being, like, kind of clumsy. But it's actually, like, very, very tight and funny, and I don't know. It's good to, like, have a show that's about relationships that just has no possibility for love, because the only male characters are like one line throwaway extras on the outskirts of the plot. So, which also was like, I know like a lot of, I know that idol master was around definitely by that point, but it was also one of the larger, like cute guy girl anime, uh, band sort of shows. I think, mm. I mean, I know there's a bunch more that people can reference, so it's not the best, but definitely they, managed to take that and run with it they had lives they had their own they have numerous albums you know there's definitely a lot of life after the anime for that show that did kyoani a lot of money and a lot of good um especially when they hold like a lot of the key animation and sort of uh visual rights to the characters because whilst it was a manga the manga doesn't look nearly as strong as the anime does uh so yeah i don't know yeah well so what did people watch uh to kind of give themselves some fresh perspectives on kyoto animation oops were we saving that <laughs> i messed up yeah you did it's okay uh, i watched i watched the opening to to love to lucky star i was like damn that's a good song and actually also <laughs> there was that there's a really good interview with the people who wrote that song 
about how uh, they got about writing it and how weird and new and fresh and damper it was at the time, which may be worth checking out. It's on Crunchy. Uh, that's an interesting like 15-20 minute slice of uh, anime song knowledge that you might not know about. It was worth it. Hmm. I was in, but apart from that, not, nothing. Well, I watched uh, Sarune, as I said before, and I completely missed this. And I can't really believe I did, except that I looked it up and it aired exactly the same season and has vaguely the same energy as Run With The Wind. So I guess it's not surprising that I only picked up one sports anime. But I've been really impressed by this. And as I watched the whole thing, um, or the first six episodes, I felt that John would really enjoy this anime <laughs> because yeah. it's just like five handsome boys. And also it's a, it's a co-ed club. So there's also some girls there who largely stay away from the boys because they're, they're boys in the club in an anime. So <laughs> yeah, there's that. But like this guy, this, this one kid who was thought to be kind of, if not a prodigy, then really up and coming, had a total meltdown where he had, he got afflicted with target panic and missed all four shots at like the like elite level tournament um and just basically blew out and stopped doing archery and it's all these friends trying to get him back into archery but it also has like a some pacing stuff that i think is really unique about whether about how the the uh the club it doesn't exist at the beginning of the episode first episode and by the end it exists and it's just about getting him to like join it and recommit himself um, and there's just like, rather than having a breakthrough moment, he has breakthrough moments, but it's a lot more about like, they get journals from this guy who suffered from target panic and he's going through all the stuff that he did to try to get over it. And in the meantime, there's a lot of the whole procedural stuff that you get from sports anime and certain types of club focused high school anime about the art of Japanese archery, which has a hot lot of highly ritualized elements about the positions of the bow and where to hold the hands and how to walk in and find your position by like stepping to the left and then moving your leg to the right. And that's how you get your stance. And so I've just really enjoyed it really peacefully. And uh, my girlfriend, who's not that much of an anime fan was like, Oh, this is really nice. Cause it's just like a bunch of guys having like a really gentle, non-toxic friendship. That's really supportive. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of why a lot of people watch anime. Um, and I've also already got inklings that like the bad guy who's like, one of his former team members who went to the the good high school for for archery because those exist i guess um <laughs> like they set him up as kind of like this menacing presence but his like other friend is like oh no um he'd be happy he'd be happy to see that you're still doing archery um and i stopped right before the episode where he actually goes to the tournament to to see this guy but i thought it's it's incredible watch this yeah I, I think you would enjoy it a lot i don't think it would be like your anime of the season but I think it would definitely get the patent. Well, no, if it was if it was the same season as Run with the Wind, yeah. <laughs> but I, but I think it'll definitely get the patent to John. Well, I liked it. So was it a thirteen episode show or thirteen plus an unaired fourteenth episode? And you can tell it's got it. The one thing it doesn't share with Run with the Wind is it's paced a lot faster and a lot more things happen. Mm-hmm. But there is just kind of a. It just it's just a show about like. Kind of like Kaon, where it's just like gent- gentle, supportive friendship that doesn't isn't built on conflict, except like personal conflict and the need to grow, and doesn't really have romance as a driving force. And it's really nice to see that, as Jeff said, Kaon can kind of not Kaon, Kaon Annie, 
uh, <laughs> uh, Kyoto Animation can kind of jump around these genres and these styles, and like the characters have kind of same facey looks, but they're still. I don't know, I'm I'm enjoying it a lot, and I'm really happy to watch this, and I'm happy that we had this thing where I decided to check out um, a show about archery that I completely slept on, mostly because I didn't know that it was Kyoto Animation. Because that's not something that really gets like trumped anymore. Like only a few people made a point of talking about how like Dragon Maid was Kyoto Animation, mm-hmm. um, even yeah. though like little girls with fat little legs was definitely definitely a, a phrase I would apply to to Kana from from Dragon Maid. Violet ever, Violet ever whatever. Uh, ever, <laughs> Violet, whatever Violet Everwood. <laughs> I was like Evergreen, no, no, Evergarden, uh, yeah, Evergarden. I think that was hyped. I think that that, that it was that pretty. Was, it was pretty was uh, pushed as a big Kyoto. Th- uh, but I think that was yeah. also that was also because it was like Netflix, Netflix. and Kyoto yeah. Animation yeah. together. And they, yep, yep, I think they also released a the the OP quite early, and that that was quite spectacularly animated, even compared to the the show itself. The the OP just had like. Her, I think, on a type typewriter and all the keys and pages flying off and out the window, and it was incredibly intricate and incredibly well done. Um, yeah, so uh, that was definitely hyped. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that kind of like it's a Kyoani has kind of dropped off as a by itself by itself selling point i mean when uh, when i used to hear that it was like a dismissive thing almost and I yeah don't... It, it definitely had an arc you're right that it did go <laughs> from like you need to see this to oh it's the same as all the other ones like i think tamako market got a lot of and yeah. uh sound euphonium both got like blasted for being like oh they're just doing k-on again um sound euphonium was nothing like k-on i just want to throw that out there at, at point one it's got girls point two it's got a band point, point three, three it's not a comedy <laughs> it's not a comedy <laughs> I also think that a lot of um, it doesn't. It didn't also help that a lot of shows uh, uh, and studios tried to ape that exact style uh, of anime pretty soon. It definitely after. led to a trend of, as people put it, moe. <laughs> moe. Yeah, moe. there was like the big toxic backlash against moe, and it's only that's only kind of now fading away. And people are allowed to like K on ironically which is, again, which yeah. is funny because you know Dragon Maid is so moe, but I fucking love that show. I think Dragon Maid might be my favorite of the recents, as well as Violet Evergarden, but it's just me. Uh, For what it's worth, Andy, I think you would love Liz and the Bluebird a lot. Oh yeah, totally. I've seen some of the. It's, it's, uh, it's right up your jam. I didn't it's right gen- up your like like Sudune. I didn't know it was a thing. Uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> meaning to go back and finish off um, Hibiko Euphonium too, but I never really gave it much of a chance. I don't know. No, I gave it loads. I'm on like the left, like the last episode of season one, <laughs> and it was this is the thing for me. It was just fine. I didn't have a strong band connection. I think we talked about yeah. it at the time. Yeah, so. we did. Yeah. Uh, it didn't really. I, I do think it connected with me with me a lot more specifically because I was in a band in high school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was good. It was good stuff. And I've always been meaning to go back to Kyoka, Kyoka, uh, Kyoka. Duncan, what did you watch? I know you watched something. <laughs> I went back and for the second time watched um, a Silent Voice, which I think I talked about briefly once before. But I think so. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was I remember being mildly impressed. Like, yeah, it's 
it was very beautiful and everything I expected from from it. But at the time, it was I think you know how everyone has will be affected by the mood. It's a it's a show, it's a film which very much does run on emotion and the emotional state of the audience when they're watching it can't but help affect how they react to it you at the time i found it a bit um melo not melodramatic but um just i would bit, say it's definitely melodramatic though <laughs> just a, it a is. little on the nose but not, not like in a not in a bad way yeah. for me like like it was like a, a a particularly heartbreaking and uh, cry now, now, yeah. <laughs> moments. But this time, I think partly because I knew knew the story going in, and I've I already knew the twists and turns of it. I was able to actually sort of sit back and appreciate the craft of it. And dear God, it's fucking amazingly done it's like <laughs> yeah like sometimes you, you don't notice that the tricks people are, uh, are playing on you to get reactions until you actually sit down and and actually look out for them because god this this show this this anime uses um depth of field like nothing i've ever seen like so few anime you will have have blurring of the background and foreground there's been a couple of things in which i've seen recently have used it but it's so so rare and the it shoots a it has an entire um flashback sequence which it shoots in the style of almost a home movie camera fisheye lens and all like so you have like this blurred edge to it and this sort of circle of focus in the center which and like that's just like this perfect choice for this memory of youth where kids are so incredibly self-centric and everything around them is just like this blur until the moment that someone actually forces them to take notice of someone else's feelings rather than just be wholly me, 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 me. And like the way they frame things throughout it is just incredibly well executed. It's like there's... um. So, my I don't no no not spoilers. It's the first scene. So, um, the plots of a silent voice, uh, Ishida and uh, is uh, uh, the first time we meet Ishida. He's walking down uh, the street in a suit, and what we find out shortly after is that he's walking towards a bridge where he intends to commit suicide, and we find then flash back to what has brought him to this point, which is his bullying of, and then in turn, the backlash around uh, his bullying of a, a deaf girl called uh, Nishimura. Um, and, like, it's this whole thing of um, his complete lack of empathy for her as a kid and like how he just doesn't pay any attention to what she's doing and and then the moment he 
there's this moment when his guilt actually kicks in, where he, where they're confronted in their class by their teacher, and that he um, he's told by his um, uh, his teacher right her parents have to buy have had to buy her like dozens of pairs of hearing aids which have been thrown thrown about by the people who've been bullying her, and like that very moment sort of he flashes back to uh, what his own mum and, and the way she's looked after him and, and his affection for her and that sort of that from that connection you can see something in him changes like there's a moment where the world becomes more a rat apart from him becomes more in focus and it turns from um, him not wanting to not paying attention to anyone else to when we return to him in adulthood, he just doesn't want to look anyone else in the eye. He's he's just completely, instead of being oblivious, he is now um, consciously blocking people out. And the mm-hmm. the through framing and through through props, even um, it, the whole thing is constantly just blocking everyone out of shots. The way that framing is used by the director is is incredible. Like, perhaps the, my favorite scene of the the whole thing is when uh, 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 Ishida's um, mum confronts him about his attempted suicide, and they're they're sitting around the breakfast table, and it starts with this shot where it's just it's common or garden shot. It's just her framed in the center. of center and just talking to him and just said so and just out to say so why did you try and kill yourself and he's like and it cuts to him and he's just like squished in to the, the very left hand corner of the screen it's like he's mm-hmm. so small and the, the screen is so big and he's just down in this corner and then it cut backs to her and after he's just like murmured this excuse and nothings and cutbacks to her and she just suddenly leans from the center thing right towards where the right of the screen and starts shouting at him and then more than that then sort of with her momentum carries her through the frame and then out of the left side it cuts and she's coming onto the screen from the left hand side so her momentum takes her out to the left onto the right and it's just like this moment of just kineticism and I just absolutely loved it and it's just like yeah I I did not notice that the first time around I was too busy with the drama and, and to actually have this opportunity to go back the second time and notice the way they're uh, just blocking and like there's, there's a another scene where someone uh he, two people are talking in the rain and one of them's got the umbrella slightly tipped forward so he's obscuring the head of the other and they're the the sort of he's making excuses about why he can't um do certain things and the other person turns back and just lifts the umbrella up so they can actually see each other and like that's just a lovely little touch and it's there's things like that throughout and it's just this incredibly technically accomplished film which i 
realised on one level, but didn't properly until I had a chance to watch it without the intoxicating effect of the the, the plots mm. completely overwhelming me. Well, yeah, it does sound like a very like masterfully directed work. And would it would it encourage you to watch Kaon if I said that that's the director of Kaon? Uh, it would, do, it would that. actually, because uh, I yeah, think Kaon, one... Tamako Market, and um, also uh, uh, Liz and the Bluebird. Because I think it's worth worth saying that um, the I think a silent silent voice was really well critically received and got a not not a huge cinematic release of in the Western markets, but a, a, a larger than most kit like most Kiani things yeah. would. And well, I think yeah. it would have been a lot more t- or noted if it hadn't come out in the, s- the same year as Your Name. Yeah, well, I mean, no, your, your name I, ran over everything is the problem. But I also I also think that if it wasn't for Your Name, it would have never come out in cinemas in the first place. Like, apart from, the, I think I watched it in the Leeds International Film Festival, which has a pretty good... Uh, I've spoken about it numerous times, but that has a very good, uh, consistent film, uh, like anime film day. So yeah, if it wasn't basically if it wasn't for your name, it would have never got on a screening. Bold statement to make, but I think technically it might be better than your name. But uh, like, yeah, <laughs> that's 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 something about how much my admir- admiration for it has. Um, grown over uh, actually sitting down and taking in the craft of it. it yeah. That's a yeah. that's a high recommendation then. Yeah, yeah. it's very high. <laughs> but I think that I think that craft has been in most Kiani, but the uh, maybe just people don't appreciate it until they've watched it again. Uh, God no no part of me just went, well maybe I should watch Violet Evergarden again. And then another part you just slapped Aww. me on the cross. I said, no. Hey, I mean, I still love Violet Evergarden, despite what you cats say. I think it's still pretty great. But um, I would say, like, even then, like, you look at K-On! And it's a lot harder to appreciate the directorial uh, style. But it is, I think, pretty hard for anima- for to animate a joke and then to make it land like consistently yeah uh i think there's a lot more skill to that than maybe people let on <laughs> i think all this like oftentimes a lot of the joke is in like the grandiose framing or the flat framing mm. like mm. my favorite joke in kaon when um their their teacher and advisor for their uh light rock club um comes over to the holiday to their holiday party because her boyfriend dumped her and she gives <laughs> them the horror movie that she planned to give her boyfriend because she's actually kind of like a hardcore metal girl at heart. And then they have a talent show where like someone does air guitar and they make Mio dress up in a skimpy Santa suit. And then uh and then uh Sawa-chan, who's clearly at this point brought her on beer and is drunk, yeah, is like, I've it's me next it. and she like stands up and like pulls up her blouse and like slaps her stomach and pulls the hand away and it's just a red handprint and she's like maple leaf and then she sits down and it's like the funniest thing she's like mama g uh no she's the best character and just like the fact that they do like a like a slightly too far away like flat uh wide shot is just like really makes it funny it feels like you're sitting there and watching someone who's kind of tipsy taking over an extremely like childlike 
talent yeah. show. Oh, yeah, it's it's uh yeah, their craft yeah. is so so good. Even for the, the the heavy feels that is a silent voice, there's still moments of of levity which are really well handled. Like um, there's a uh, one of the the sort of characters who's who's not one of the main one of the side characters, uh, Nag- Naga Nagatsu- Nagasuka Nagasuka, yeah. Um, he's he's sort of like the goofy film nerd who becomes friends with the the main character, and like they're after they first become friends, they're sitting in a, uh, in a typical anime work work Donald's. Uh, and he's 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 got a, a plate of French fries. He's in front of him, and um, he's been asked, "Okay, so so what what does friendship mean?" And like any um, typical teenage boy, instead of actually being able to process his own feelings in a an original way, he has to sort of reach for a cut uh, a pop culture thing to, as a stand-in. So he he gets a French fry and puts it in his mouth like a cigarette, and sort of acts out this. M- sort of mafia friendship scene with with the main character it just reminds me so much of my is that the guy with the curly curly hair yeah it just i love him he just reminds me so much of like like my teenage self like quoting monty python because (laughs) people would laugh and and oh they're laughing that's that's good that's good i I know something and they're laughing and like he just reminds me of that this this anxious kid who's just like uses like pop culture and uh, uh, humor to as a sort of like coping me- mechanism with his own sort of insecurities and anxieties, and it's it's like a very mm-hmm. like with such heavy matter, it's very easy to overwrite um, the characters. Like I think Mario Kart sometimes does that. Sometimes in things like um, uh, Anohana, they they. The characters can end up sounding too wise to their ears, or just too, too much gravity to their words. And I think whoever wrote this for um, Kurani did a really good job of making the way they speak feel um, authentic to being a teenager. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it is based off. It's based off a manga, right? Yeah, pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I have read the manga like three times. <laughs> I, I think I think a large uh, a general complaint about that movie is that uh, they skip out a few reasons as to why they do the film at the end, which I think I have heard actually that that's that people like the movie, yeah, people like the movie more because they got rid of those things. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. It didn't. I haven't seen read the manga, so I can't complain. But I know that that was like a big complaint from me. They're like, oh, they didn't explain this bit, and they didn't. In, like go into this character's size story, but at the end of the day, it's a film. You gotta compare to like a what sixty chapter odd manga. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they they landed at two, uh, at just over two hours, and I think they told a arc in that fairly concisely. I think any more than that, and it would have come up this bloated Lord of the Rings ever ending mess. I think. They they I mean, nailed they, what the, the essential thing, bits were. Yeah, the other thing they could have also done is just do a do a live act, do a TV show, like a series. But eh, it's fine. They didn't want to do that, and uh, I don't blame. It's a good. It's a good film. It's a very good film. Well, that sounds like a great place <laughs> to stop. Uh, yeah. Remember, uh, we are doing this because Kyoto Animation got hit unfairly by this ridiculous honestly terrorist act criminal at least um and if you 
like Kyoto Animation stuff, I would strongly recommend that you stop by their website and they have a, a donation fund going on. Mm-hmm. And they also just encourage people like if this is if you've been wanting to buy some Kyoto Animation merch, they say that now is the time to to do that. So so yeah. Um and remember, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on Twitter at Keyframes Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Keyframes Pod. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tell a friend. Spotify. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're on Spotify now. We're on Spotify now. (laughs) No excuse to Andy, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, with that, say goodbye, everybody. Wait, wait, wait. You're not going to tell any other friend. No, we're not. No, (laughs) we're not. Have I been gone too long? Is that yep. died? Yeah, we Damn just we, reti- we retired it while <laughs> you were gone. It. Damn it. Okay, fine. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, B. Bye. <laughs>